Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. I also would like to welcome the students who are in the Africana Studies class at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County with Dr. Boruduwa. Well, this show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. Now, following the show, you can continue this discussion on the Afrogenius.com and my webpage, Research at the National Archives and Beyond. In fact, please like my page as well as the Afrogenius.com group page. Well, tonight's show will focus on funeral programs. Now, it is a tradition to hold on to and treasure certain funeral programs because they represent a final and public tribute to the life of family members, friends, and associates. Ms. Karen Sutton began actively collecting funeral programs and newspaper obituaries in 1986. Today, she has a 50 volume collection of two-inch loose-leaf binders full of them, consisting of at least a 1,000 people. Can you imagine that? She will share with us how to decipher the clues provided within those treasured binders. What kind of genealogical research can you gain from that type of information? Well, Karen Sutton is a family historian specializing in African-American research in Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., medical and lineage societies in general, and the National Society Daughters of the American Revolution research in particular. Now, she joined the National Society of Daughters of the American Revolution, based upon the service of her free black ancestor from Virginia. 
Karen also served as the national membership chair for the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society, Incorporated, and she is a chartered member of the Baltimore chapter of ARCS and is the first black national vice president and African-American president for the National Lineage Research Committee. Now, she holds a B.S. in nursing and a master's degree in historical studies. And after receiving her M.A., she worked at the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation in colonial costume and is currently employed as a registered nurse in long-term care. So without any further ado, let me give just a warm welcome to Karen Sutton to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Bernice. Well, Karen, I'm so happy to have you tonight. I see you working in long-term care, so clearly you work with a lot of people where you perhaps maybe share with them end-of-life planning or what have you. But, Sharon, let's start at the beginning. How did you get involved in collecting funeral programs and obituaries? Okay. May 1986, my father's oldest brother passed on. His name was Berkeley Max Sutton. He lived in Edwardsville, Northumberland County, Virginia, part of the historic Northern Neck. Um, when I went down Virginia, that's what my parents call it, if you, like, go to Richmond or someplace, you just go into Richmond. But when they go home, they're going down Virginia. Okay. So when I went, when I went down there um, to prepare for the funeral, I was going through his effects, his, his things, and I found in a drawer, a bureau drawer in his bedroom, a collection of funeral programs neatly folded, you know, as, as as he really cared for them. I think the, the the pile was maybe two inches high. So I thought, well, if he thought enough of it to keep them, then let me continue this for him. So I took them home, uh, got a loose-leaf binder and some sheet protectors, put each one of them in a sheet protector, and that's how it started. Now, like you said, I got 15 volumes of one-inch binders. That is absolutely amazing. Now, I share with you the fact that I also have this collection of funeral yes. programs, funeral programs that belong to my husband's grandmother, and it was a similar situation. We went to her home. And there was this box, and in this box were all of these obituaries neatly tied together, and it's over mm -hmm. 100. Of course, mm -hmm. it's not 1,000, but obviously those funeral programs mean a lot. They yeah. mean a lot. Yeah. So let's examine what can be found in the funeral programs. Okay. Funeral program is the printed handout distributed at the life celebration held at the end of someone's life. That life celebration is often called a funeral or a memorial service. The printed handout may be a traditional funeral program 
It could be a bookmark or it could be a prayer card. Mm-hmm. Um, the printed handout traditional funeral program has a lot of valuable information for genealogists and family historians, as do newspaper or online obituaries. And the bookmark and prayer card, although not as much, can shed some light on a person's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bookmark, the information found there usually includes the date of date and place of birth, date and place of marriage, if they were married, the name of the spouse, and the date and place of death. Then there may or may not be one or more pictures of the deceased, um, and they may have some other information as well. And that would be a bookmark like you put in a print book. Uh, Prayer cards are traditionally distributed at a Catholic or Episcopal funeral mass, but there's no rule that says other religious denominations can't use them in addition to or instead of the traditional funeral program and or a bookmark. And in Mm -hmm. fact, there's no rule that says it can't be used at a secular service that has nothing to do with religion, if you so choose. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's just a momentum or something that people can can carry around with them. Yes. A prayer card is usually the size of a business card, something you can stick in your pocket and something mm-hmm. you can hold on to as a final remembrance or something to look at when you're feeling down or you're missing the person or something of that nature. Yes, yes. Uh, The traditional prayer cards have a picture of Jesus, Mary, or one of the saints on one side, and usually the favorite prayer of the deceased or a close family member or friend on the other side. Uh, If they do not have a favorite prayer, they may use the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And under that, you usually find the person's name and birth and death dates. Um, as I said, it's usually the size of a business card. It is printed on card stock, weight paper, and probably laminated, so it'll mm-hmm. last. Modern prayer cards may have a chur or photo of the deceased in place of the religious figures and a poem in place of the prayer. A modern prayer card could be anything from a business card to half of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And laminating is optional. But again, if you want it to last, you should have it do something like that with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Traditional funeral programs, uh, as we know them, contains is the written order of service for a funeral, memorial service, or other life celebration. Uh, I say other life celebration because some people have non-traditional funerals or memorial services, and there was even a series on some channel about that. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. 
Um, mm-hmm. But that's why I say other life celebrations. Yes. Written yes. the service sometimes includes pictures, poems, and other information, and in addition to what I'm going to tell you about now. Okay. Okay. Um, what information is contained in the traditional funeral program? Let me give yes. you some terminology. Okay. The location of the life celebration. Sometimes it's just the name of the building, but usually today the full address, including city, state, and zip code, is on the on the program. If it's a religious celebration, the name of the officiating religious leader, the pastor, the priest, the minister, the rabbi, whoever, um, is generally printed as well. Mm-hmm. When the celebration is not held at the religious institution, if you have the name of the religious leader, you can probably find out what institution he is affiliated with and Mm -hmm. thus the institution with which the deceased and or his or her family was affiliated. Church records. Uh, all, all that from just the cover. It may say sunrise or alpha, that's mm-hmm. the date of birth, sunset or omega, the date of death. Uh, sometimes you just see these dates with no title. Sometimes there are two dates with a dash in between. Okay. If you see the dash or just the date, the first number is the birth date. The second number is the death date. Usually, sunrise or alpha is followed by the names of the parents of the deceased and perhaps the location where that person was born. May or may okay. not say where they were born. Mm-hmm. Many older programs have three names for the mother. Usually the middle name is the married woman's middle um middle appointment. I'm sorry, the middle name is usually the married woman's maiden name prior to the advent of hyphenated last names for married women. Mm-hmm. You might remember that. Uh, that gives you a clue as to the surname of the person's maternal ancestor. Pay attention to the length of time between the dates. Do the math. This will tell you if it's not listed elsewhere what the person's age was at the time of death. Pictures and photographs. You may see one or more that show you what the person looked like, sometimes at various stages in their life. Unfortunately, Just about all the programs I've seen, the pictures are not labeled, and you have to ask unless you just happen to know the person and the family, who the people around them are, because you usually see group photos and about the full details of the picture, like uh, where were you or what was the occasion, uh, in addition to who is so-and-so. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you may see a death notice on social media, like Facebook and Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. They often have pictures of the deceased along with their date of death and the relationship to the person who's posting the notice. Social media may or may not include other information. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to know, you might send a private message to the person who posted it, and they may or may not give you other information. Okay, now let me just go back for a second because you were talking, telling us about the traditional uh, funeral program, and yeah. then you, so you you told us about the the female, and you may if she's if she's married, then you would see uh, her maiden name, which is a clue to the family surname. And right. then the the people should pay attention to the time of death, which means that death may be noted on the funeral program. However, what about the program, going from the program, before we go to social media, what okay. else would we find on the printed program that would have wonderful genealogical value many, many years later when somebody is going to look at that funeral program. Okay. If you see a program for a multiple life celebration, two or more people, I've seen as many as three. Um, That usually means a tragic, fatal accident or foul play like a murder-suicide, homicide, or arson. But at times it could mean a grief-stricken spouse literally cannot live without the person they spent a good part of their life with and follows them within days. Um, The latter, the grieving spouse, was presented in the recent documentary Homegoings this past summer on PBS, but yes. in either case, you want to look for newspaper articles. It's definitely an accident or foul play would have made the news. Other information, sometimes a whole person's life, you only have a nickname for them. So when the funeral program you will learn the person's real or legal name. Mm-hmm. I've often heard the comment, so that's his real name, repeated at a life celebration. Other information, education. You can learn where and perhaps when the person went to school. Often in the case of older African Americans, who went to school prior to desegregation, the school no longer exists. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, just a couple of weeks ago, Selma Stewart posted a notice on Facebook and sent an email to Afrogenies about a project to preserve Cortland School in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm -hmm. I'm sure when Eula Riddick and her surviving classmates pass on, that school will be mentioned in their funeral program. Yes, yes. Religious institutions, the one that the family attended or at least the deceased 
is probably the location of the service or the name or names if you attended more than one in your lifetime may be given in the obituary portion of the program. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Generally, if the person belonged to or just attended a particular religious institution for any length of time, the life celebration is held at that facility. Mm-hmm. If for some reason the service cannot be held there, again, the leader of that facility usually offici- officiates at the alternate location or at least preaches the eulogy or speaks about the life of the deceased. Mm-hmm. That information will be listed in the funeral program. Okay. Generally, if the person was the head of, again, the minister, the rabbi, somebody of that level, or belonged to any ministries in the religious institution, that information is also provided. Uh, some ministries, common ministries, deacon, deaconess, trustee, choir member, usher, Sunday or Saturday school teacher, things like that. Uh, if the head or leader of the institution passes on, there's usually some kind of news story about that. For instance, here in Baltimore, Monsignor, Monsignor Edward Miller, he was the pastor for St. Bernardine's Catholic Church here in Baltimore. Right around Christmas time, he passed suddenly of a heart attack. His story was told in print and in media. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I was not able to attend the service, and I don't yet have a copy of the program. So if any of your listeners have or know somebody who has and is willing to copy it and donate it, I'd love to have it. Okay. And I will be happy to reciprocate. Yes. So we have the program and the program, uh, is there a certain order that you have seen in those thousands of uh, funeral programs? Do you always see the same information, or does the information change as there far as the template basic, is concerned? There is certain basic information that should be included in an obituary. I've only seen one that I couldn't glean any information from, Mm -hmm. Um, but it should include birth, death, again, marriage, if they're married, or a life partner or somebody they were involved with for a significant length of time, Um, Mm -hmm. education, employment, And sometimes social or service activities, the age, uh, cause of death, survivor, all of that may or may not be included in the obituary. Right. That's now, usually 
That's usually the inside front cover. Okay. The obituary, and then on the other side, inside, is the order of service, actually mm-hmm. the flow of the program. Now, that's saying okay. that you have a, a simple funeral program that is a bifold of an eight-and-a-half eight by 11 sheet of paper. Yes. Uh, some now have funeral programs that look like books. Yes, they do. Multiple I've seen pages, them. Yes. Uh, ledger-sized paper, full color. Oh, yeah. Once upon a time, a funeral program was all black and white. On white yes. with black print on white paper. Mm-hmm. Now sometimes you see colored paper. Uh, the print may be in different colors. They got three or four or five pages of pictures, maybe one or two or more pictures. Of, I'm sorry, not pictures, but pages of comments from friends and family, um, their remembrances of the person. Yes. Um. Usually on the back, you would see pallbearers and flower bearers mm-hmm. or flower girls. In the beginning, it was flower girls, but now that we're being politically correct, uh, if there are flowers, it may say flower bearers, pallbearers. Traditionally, the people who carried the casket out of the church were men. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have seen a couple where there were female and male participants and female and male flower bearers. Yes, um, yes. And, you know, what you're saying, though, with the names of those individuals, I mean, when you talk about genealogical value, they're naming the people who are uh, involved in the, the homegoing uh, celebration those right. people can actually end up being people you've turned around and want to research because exactly. you're looking for, well, what relationship do they have to the deceased? Exactly. exactly. And it may answer even more questions. Could they be family members? Could they be very close friends? But, indeed, you have a, a, a document that has been prepared uh, that really – served as a memorial, but something that you can go back and look at years later when you're trying exactly. to connect the dots. Decades later. Yes. Yeah. And I guess with those thousands of obituaries that you have, you probably have a wonderful history about the community, as you say, going down to Virginia uh, mm-hmm. You probably have wonderful uh, information about the community uh, where your uncle lived. Yes, definitely. Yeah, different churches, so different ministers at various yes, points in time. Yes, yes, right, right. And I mean, we have someone Ooh, in the chat room, Nadasu. Yeah, Nadasu just mentioned that she. Um, she has a collection of obituaries, and she's put together a, a database uh, with that information. So I, I'm, my question to you is, have you put together a database of the obituaries that you've collected? I am working on that, and so far I've gotten to Volume 5. 
I have not published it anywhere. Um, I thought about doing something with Find a Grave, and I am working on my website, and it will definitely be there. Yes. Well, Karen, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back to find out if some of the chatters have any questions, and then you can tell us more about uh, funeral programs and what else we need to know and the genealogical value of those uh, funeral programs. Just a quick break. Okay. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me usually every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You can also find the archive shows on my website, JeannieBRoots.com. Now, we, you have been listening to Karen Sutton, and the lines are open uh, for you to ask a question or make a comment, and we already have a question that's coming in. And so, Karen, I'm going to take this question from Area Code 410. So, Area Code 410, you are live. You have a question or a comment? I'm going to take this question from Area Code 410. Hi, Karen. Hi. Hi. Uh, Hi. Guest, could you please turn down your sound on your computer so that we don't get a uh, Echo? Okay. Thank you. This is Eleanor Thompson calling. I'm just curious as to know what was the oldest funeral program that you have? Okay, Ellie. I think yours are older than mine, but I think the oldest one I have, uh, what we call funeral programs, dates back to the 70s. Um, I do have one that Donna Holly gave me, um, mm-hmm. which is more of an obituary than a funeral program that dates back to the 1880s. So I guess the oldest document that I have is from the 1880s. How Does old are you? From, um, I have some memoirs, something that's called memoirs, mm-hmm. and that serves as a funeral program as well. 
and it's through the church records. I have one as old as 1864. Wow. Wow. So I was just curious, did, did you have any funeral funeral programs such as little memoirs as well? Okay. Um, things of that nature. My maternal grandfather died in 1954, and they gave me the book. It's really pamphlet size, but it's a little book that shows, um, it has the obituary in it. It has, I guess it's the book that we now call the sign-in book because mm-hmm. um, it has the names of all the people who attended the service as well as the date and time and place and, and all of that. So that would be 1954. 1954. And actually, you just brought up something, and that's the funeral, uh, the the book that people sign in. I mean, there's great genealogical value as to the people who attended the funeral. I mean, we're talking about the programs, but really, I mean, those books are, are very valuable because it's the guest list. And yeah. with that, they put addresses in the guest list that would also yeah. help individuals when they're trying to uh, reconstruct the community. So, guests, thank you so much for, for calling in. Well, why don't Thanks, you tell us, yes, tell us about some of the resources that you have found to help people uh, put together a funeral program. Okay. If you just Google or Bing how to write a funeral program, uh, you'll come up with several websites. Um, I do advise that you do plan in advance because usually when someone passes on, you have a week or less to plan a funeral or a memorial service. So it would behoove you to plan in advance when you have time and you're thinking more clearly. Um, I've actually written a little article about planning, um, pre-planning a funeral as well as other end-of-life activities. And the first thing you want to do is do your advanced directive. That's sometimes called a living will. And each state has a form that you can fill out that has to be witnessed, not not necessarily notarized, but somebody outside of the immediate family has to witness it saying whether or not you want to have CPR done on you, whether or not you want to donate specific organs or anything of that nature, um, a legal will that says what you want to do with your personal assets, so that people aren't fighting over it. If you are fortunate enough to have a significant amount of assets, including money, uh, saying who gets what, and if you want anything to be donated, say, to um, an organization. Like in the case of us as genealogists and family historians, many of us have gobs like boxes of files or maybe a terabyte or more of information on a computer 
more than enough to write a book, but sometimes somehow you just never got around to it. And it would be a shame for all of that to just disappear into the trash when you pass on. That's so, right. That's right. Um, in addition to your regular assets, I would say for the genealogy community, you need to decide now what you want to happen to your research. Mm-hmm. And if possible, set aside some money to have it taken care of in a certain archive or library, special collections or Right. And actually, I had a show. I had a show on uh, leaving a legacy with Antoinette Correll, oh, okay. and she and she discussed uh, how she had donated uh, a large collections to the Amistad Center in New Orleans, and also to the University in um, in Hammond, Louisiana. And so it's ah. something that individuals perhaps would like to think of as well as what that what they want their funeral program to look like as far as advanced planning is concerned. Yes. Then you have to decide what's going to happen to your physical remains. Uh, anatomical donation, that's donating your whole body, cremation, burning, entombment or burial interment. Um, with cremation, a memorial service is optional. Even anatomical donation, you could have a memorial service with something in the program that says the person's body has been donated to science. Um Entombment is usually above ground in a mausoleum or building. Interment is usually in ground. Then you have to think about the selection of a mortuary establishment or firm, somebody to handle all the arrangements. There's an old joke about, oh, don't go through all that. Just just dig a hole in the backyard and throw me in it. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not legal. So you have to go through some kind of of mortuary or crematory establishment. Then, again, preferences for a life celebration. Funeral service means that the remains are present. Memorial service means the remains are not present. Uh, You could have the remains, if they are cremated in a very, very beautiful urn, and you can have the urn and maybe a, God knows, um, in in the place where the, the casket would be. And if you have a memorial service with the cremation um, option, the ashes are referred to as cremains where we call a body remain. Then you want to think about the format for the celebration. Is there going to be music? One of my sorority sisters does not even listen to music, so she would probably be very offended if there was a lot of music at her service. 
reflections of the life of the deceased should be given by a family member or a friend. Uh, you may have media presentations. You talked about the CD that the funeral home usually has now. Well, that seems to be the new trend now to have this, the CDs of, of the life of that person shown, yes. Yes, so the mortuary professional would ask you to give them copies of of pictures of the person at various stages of their life, and they will make a presentation out of it and put it to music and put it on a CD that is usually displayed um, at the viewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, printed handouts, we already talked about the prayer card, the bookmark, uh, and or the written obituary. Mm-hmm. Now, what um, about the person... The person uh, is deceased and they don't have family members. Um, what kind of program would we find on them, if anything? Uh, That's a very good question. Um, as I understand it, if you have no assets, say, God forbid, well, I guess I shouldn't say God forbid because there are homeless people and sometimes they pass on on the street. Um, I believe the state health department is in charge of taking care of their remains, and probably there would be no formal service if there is no one to demand it, or and I should say no one to pay for it, and that the person would just be cremated and their remains placed in some for lack of a better word, pauper's field. Mm-hmm. Um, but there should be some I, documentation I would have to find somewhere out where those records yeah. are. Right, right. But, you know, when we start talking, uh, going back to the, the whole funeral program, I mean, it looks like now we have groups that are trying to collect uh, these programs and digitize these programs and, can you tell us what you know about any groups that are collecting and digitizing uh, funeral programs and obituaries? Well, just last night I found out that Family Search has offered, oh, well, actually, their team is the year of the obituary, and that they are actively collecting obituaries, newspaper obituaries, as well as funeral programs, and asking people to take their collections to a local family history center where they would digitize them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I need more information before I could commit to something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually am involved in something similar where Virginia Historical Society Family Search in the Middle Peninsula African American Genealogical and Historical Society. That's the Black Genealogy Group um, that handles the Northern Neck and Middle Peninsula of Virginia. Um, in 2009, they got together with these other two groups and collected funeral programs from members and neighbors 
and Virginia Historical Society digitized them, and Family Search is now in the process of indexing them. But yes. it will probably be another year, at least, before this is available to the public. Right, right. And then what do you know about um, Allen County? Allen County, Fort Wayne, where the first IBGS was, the Allen County, Indiana Public Library has an online obituary database with obits Mm -hmm. dating back to 1841. So if you Google or Bing, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Public Library, Obituary Database, you should get to it. Mm-hmm. And they, they they have a lot of information. So basically you're saying the, the, the value is so strong that these this, this information should not be thrown away, that it goes way beyond the life celebration. Because after the celebration, you have this this piece of paper with names in it. So funeral programs are extremely valuable. Yes, they are extremely valuable. For the ordinary person, that is the only biography they will ever have. Yes. So it is worth saving. And part of my mission is to, again, make that real to people and to save as many as I can and encourage others to do likewise. Yes, yes. And, you know, as you mentioned, uh, a group in Virginia uh, collects these. I wonder if this is kind of going to become a national effort where several groups start collecting and binding these funeral programs for others to to review and whenever they need the information. I think that one of the values is having an index to, to yeah. know exactly, yeah, the names of the people, the locations, and even some of the participants in the various programs. Yes, because if you participate in any way, uh, you were significant to the person who died. Yes. Uh, generally, yes. If, if if they didn't know you at all or you had nothing to do with them, you're not going to participate in that service. Yeah. Sure, there is a rare exception, but usually, you know, if you didn't have anything to do with them, you're not going to be participating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Well, what else can you tell us, believe it or not, it's getting close to the end of the program, but what else can you tell us that we need to know and understand about funeral programs or any kind of words of wisdom uh, before we uh, close out for tonight? Okay, again, plan now for later while you're clear-headed. And even if you don't have money to pay for it, and some people actually do that, my sister's husband's cousin actually planned his entire service and paid cash money mm-hmm. for it uh, way back in, I believe it was 1970-something, and he just passed last year. 
Uh, so if you are fortunate enough to be able to do that, please do. Now um, the deaf industry is big business, and it can yes. cost a small fortune. And you may have to have a payment plan, even if you do it in advance. Um, early on, I mentioned the documentary Homegoing. Yes. That was available online um, for about a month afterwards. And now, if you want to see it, you can buy the DVD from California Newsreel. And uh-huh. if you're really interested in the subject, you can look on the PBS website um, for homegoing, and they actually have prices um, and all kinds of information about funerals um, right. and end-of-life activities. Right. Uh, you may notice that a lot of people don't have flowers anymore or maybe just one, like the, the spray that goes across the casket if there's a body. That's because cut flowers now are expensive, and they only last a few days. And people are often saying, usually in the newspaper obituary, but sometimes in the funeral program, it says, in lieu of flowers, meaning don't send flowers. And, and donate to a cause that the person um, was involved with. Mm-hmm. The actual phrase usually goes, the family asks, instead of flowers, please donate to, and the line would be filled by the name of some organization. Um, you may see military service. Like if the person was in the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or Coast Guard, even the Marines, and Mm -hmm. if they were, they can have military honors either in the service itself, in the facility, or they can have it at the gravesite, usually at the gravesite. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I mentioned employment, social service, external organizations you belong to, some of them or a lot of them have some kind of ceremony that they actually perform at the funeral or at the yes. end of life service, and that may or may not be mentioned in the program. Sometimes if the person got to be 90 or 100 or more, they would list the age of death. Um, you would pay attention to terminology. Like suddenly usually means a tragic fatal accident or a fatal illness, sudden illness, like a massive heart attack, a stroke, or a fatal aneurysm where you died within hours or days, like less than a week. Usually if it says after a long illness, that means the person has been sick for several years. And Mm -hmm. again, the name of the illness may or may not be given. Cause of death, sometimes the cause of death is aided in words, but it may have some kind of symbol. Like back in 2012, um, one of my aunts, Deaconess Emily Pryor Nickens, passed. Um, Her funeral program in the upper left-hand corner on the back was a little purple ribbon. I had no idea what that purple ribbon was. 
So I Googled Purple Ribbon on the computer and found several websites that said that there are awareness ribbons. And a a purple one, um, in her case, meant Alzheimer's, which is what she has. Okay. Um, okay, that's that's an interesting clue. Well, we have we actually have a caller coming in, and caller, uh, please mute the sound on your computer. Uh, caller is from area code eight one two. Do you have any questions or comments? Yes, I do have a comment. Uh, this is Professor Bachua from uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and I had my uh, class call in. And I just want to thank Karen and yourself for a wonderful program. I've learned so much. Uh, you know, until somebody really takes the time to take something that we see all the time and we kind of take it for granted, but until somebody mm-hmm. takes the time to really sit down and walk us through it, do we actually see how important it is in our lives? Right. So yeah. everybody should start to really consider uh, saving those kinds of things, preserving that kind of history, uh, and the tips that uh, that Karen has given us in terms of preparation, uh, that all makes so much sense. Uh, my mother did it. She actually, uh, I actually found the names of the pallbearers she wanted written oh, down on a piece of excellent. paper next to her, uh, you know, by her little table that she used to always sit at. Mm-hmm. And I could have just thrown it away, but I've kept it for years before she actually passed away. And when she Mm -hmm. actually passed away, I was able to show that to my sister and say, this is who Mama wanted to be her pallbearers. And that's exactly who we had. Right, right. And that's the value of pre-planning. Yes, indeed. And it's it's paying attention to what, what our elders are telling us. I mean, they might realize that they're getting pretty close to that time. And so mm-hmm. you have to really start paying attention. A lot of people want to dismiss them. But if you pay attention to what our elders are saying, you really learn a lot and how they want to be treated in that particular time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this has well, been a really so- valuable program. Well, well thank, thank you. you so much for calling thank in. Thank you for having your class listen in. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, so uh, did we have any any other comments or callers? Anyone else would like to call in with a comment or a question uh, before we close out? Karen, this has been a very uh, interesting program, and certainly the discussion of funeral programs you don't hear enough of at the genealogy conferences. Yet, you know, one of the things that we start looking for, we start looking for the obituary. We start looking for information about our ancestors, and we look for the obituary. But the funeral program itself also has valuable information. And so thank you so much for sharing with us the fact that you have a thousand of those obituaries and there are others who are on the chat, in the chat, and they said they also have a collection. 
And so the more people collect and then make decisions as to how that information can be shared, we will find that we have just massive community histories available for people to go in and look at that information. Certainly it would be wonderful if that information could be available at the various community libraries. I'm even trying to oh, make that's a decision as to whether idea. – you know, whether I might bind the, the obituaries I have because I put it on Facebook and told people I have these obituaries and people have contacted me and I've actually been able to send them the actual obituary, I mean, excuse me, funeral program of a deceased mm-hmm. person. So it's it's just something that we we need to just keep talking about. I mean, it's it's valuable information. It certainly isn't morbid information. It's life and it's part of the the life experiences that we we research all the time. And so Karen, I want to just thank you so much for joining me tonight. So I'd like to just well, tell everyone Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, thank you. Uh, I'd like everyone to tune in on Thursday night. I'm going to rebroadcast an interview and this interview was with Robin Smith. And her discussion was on, do you have an artificial brick wall? We had so many people on that call. It was on a Saturday, and I'm going to rebroadcast it this Thursday so that you all can listen. I'm going to open up the chat so we can chat about that artificial brick wall. That may not be so artificial after all. So I want to just say have a great evening. Thank you so much, Karen Sutton, for sharing information on funeral programs. And please remember, everybody, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you shall follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. I look forward to you joining the show on Thursday night. And remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Morton Raji on Friday and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Horrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and good night. Good night, everyone.